It is now time for Truth Script Tuesday. I'm your host this week, John Harris, and we have a lot to talk about. Uh, there's a lot of articles that uh, have not been talked about yet on the Truth Script website, at least on Truth Script Tuesday. Some of you have probably read them, but uh, this is going to be a, a roundup. We're going to talk about a number of them, and boy, are there some good articles. And, and one of the things about Truth Script that I think is so great is that the articles span a wide range. It's not just one thing. It's not like uh, Truth Script is a one-trick pony. Uh, people submit articles on all kinds of things and, and really on all kinds of levels to help the church. And I'm more convinced than ever that Truth Script is necessary. It's needed, it's necessary, and uh, it's growing. In fact, we have a uh, an announcement. We're not ready to make it yet, but uh, we, we have some big things going on that uh, we're, we're excited about uh, behind the scenes. So if you appreciate Truth Script, if you like the articles we're putting out, if you want to see events that uh, reflect the kind of content you see in the articles, then go to truthscript.com and you'll see there uh, a place at the bottom where you can submit articles if you're a writer. It says publish. And then uh, if you want to just donate to help cover the bills, you can you can click donate. And, and it really does help because there are editors uh, who work on these kinds of things. And, you know, many of them don't ask for anything. They're just volunteering. In fact, uh, Joel Rodriguez, who designs this website, I mean, we, we've tried to talk to him a number of times about, uh, hey, would you want some compensation? And he just wants to make sure that TruthScript is successful. And so he doesn't want to take any compensation. And we're just blessed with people like that. But that's not everyone. So um, it, it does cost a little bit to maintain. And then, of course, if we we're going to do any big events, if we're going to publish anything, or if we're going to put out um, documentary film work, which is something that, you know, if we had the resources we would love to do to, to help churches, then that all costs money. So we appreciate those who have donated. It's really enabled us to have some conversations lately we would not have been able to have even a few months ago, I don't think. So um, with that said, now that now that that's out of the way, oh, there's one, one thing I should say before we probably uh, go to the articles too. Um, I forgot to mention this, conferences. There's a conference tab, and if you click on it, you can see that there's two conferences coming up. Stand Firm, a Truth Script conference in Middleton, Idaho, which is actually near Boise. And Matt Slick's going to be there, uh, who's a great apologist. I've appreciated Matt Slick's work for years. And I've used it, actually. I, I'm looking forward to talking to him and letting him know where I've used it. And then uh, Danny Steinmeier, Pastor Danny Steinmeier, a great friend, godly man, godly pastor. And, uh, of course, me. And, you know, I don't know why anyone would come for me, but I will be there. So uh, that's one event. And then, of course, in May, May 4th and 5th, uh, Eureka uh, Baptist Church in St. Croix, Wisconsin has an event and Dr. Russell Fuller is going to be there. And of course, I'm going to be there. And Pastor Seth Brickley, we're going to talk about one of his articles today. David Wheaton, uh, the Christian Worldview radio program. Some of you might be familiar in the Twin Cities. Uh, and then Jeff Clewer, who he's the pastor of Cornerstone Church, but he's been particularly bold lately. And uh, we're going to talk about, excuse me, his denomination. I'm really struggling with my voice here. <laughs> If you could not tell, I am sick. My brother actually talked to me right before this and said, do you sure you want to do this? And I said, yeah, I think I'm well enough for it. But I've been napping most of the afternoon and uh, my, my, my throat is dry. And so so you're not going to catch it listening to me, but you don't want to come over and, and shake my hand. That's for sure. Not right now. I think it's all the, the flying around and uh, <clears throat> and working on, up late and not getting enough sleep and all that stuff. It's catching up with me. So I'm trying to take it easy, but I did want to do this. I did really want to do this. So we're going to go over um, 
a few things. And, you know, really there are about, there's about eight articles that we could go over from the last few weeks that haven't been talked about. And uh, I don't know that we're going to do all of them. Um, I, I'm going to see as far as I can get, but I, I, I want to at least touch on, on all of them uh, and say something about them and why I appreciate them and what you can learn from, uh, from them. And, th and the first one was actually uh, about a month ago. Amy Simmons put out this on January 19th. And the title is, Does the Church Need to Give the Apostle Paul a 21st Century Refresh? And it's just a great title because that's exactly what this book does. There's a book called Nobody's Mother, Artemis of the Ephesians in Antiquity and the New Testament by Dr. Sandra Glahn. And, you know, if you're in those academic circles and you go to the Evangelical Theological Society and you see the papers presented and or maybe you're at a seminary and you're seeing the dissertation topics that are presented, you get used to this kind of thing. You actually get numb to it because there's so many. Uh, I mean, the market's flooded with stuff like this where uh, you have someone who's a theologian or at least that's their training, and they they might be an activist. I don't know, but their their degree says theologian that they're theologian, and they'll go and they'll they'll find um, you know breaking new information. Usually, it's not actually breaking new information. That and if it is, it doesn't make a whole lot of difference generally. But but that's how it's presented. You know, recent discoveries have forced us to change our view on something. We we can't look at justification the same way again because we need a new perspective on what Paul really meant. We we need to uh, understand that Genesis uh, is actually this poetic book, and here's why we think that, and it's based on this literary analysis, and, and there's just a, a whole host of things. I mean, it gets really niche at times. Well, this particular book is a reinterpretation of Paul and what he meant by children will be saved through childbirth, and I do not permit a woman to teach, based upon local uh, matters uh, with uh, in Ephesus and, and surrounding areas with Artemis of the Ephesians. Artemis being the uh, pagan god. If you remember, uh, when Paul was in Ephesus, the uh, and I've actually been to this spot. It's amazing. It's in Turkey. But there's there was a, 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 a time when everyone started cheering against Paul and saying, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And Paul wanted to go talk to them. And his, his uh, friends said, don't do it. And, you know, Artemis had a lot of power. Or Diana, if you want the Roman, uh, the Roman name for Artemis, and the um, the goddess Diana, according to this book, is really what Paul was talking about. That that Diana was this uh, motherly figure, and um, and she's you know a fertility goddess, I guess. And so when Paul is is talking about the role of women, he has he has this pagan view in mind, and he doesn't want people being like the pagans. And that what that ends up doing is it narrows the scope of Paul's instruction to an application that doesn't actually really apply to us. Now, I'm sure, you know, people reading this would say, oh, of course, it applies. I'm sure the author would say that, of course, it applies. But it doesn't apply the way you think it applies in, in, in a different sense. We're supposed to glean from uh, Paul's uh, uh, his opposition to a pagan deity, but we're not supposed to actually take his words uh, for what they mean in context. Um, and when I say context, I'm talking about the context of literature as universal law. So for example, uh, Paul talks about women uh, should not teach a man. Why? Because of creation order. It's the creation order. That's universal, right? It's nothing about a local deity or anything like that. But um, but that's the argument that you're going to hear from people like this. And, and you have to wonder over time. Uh, in fact, I don't really wonder. I just assume 
at this point because I've seen so much of this that these are just ways of justifying present social views that uh, women really aren't told that they cannot have authority over men. It's just it's a specific thing that they're not supposed to act like the pagan worshipers of Artemis or something. So there's more on this. And because we have so many articles, I'm not going to get into the weeds on it. Uh, I want you, if you're interested in this kind of thing, to go check it out. Amy Simmons is a wonderful writer. And this is the kind of stuff that needs to be uh, published. And, and normally this is going to be in journals. It's going to be more academic stuff. But um, but but this is honestly, it's understandable. It's it's uh, accessible for even laymen to understand. And uh, this is the kind of stuff every once in a while we want to put out a truth strip because it, this is the kind of thing that ends up affecting your churches in the long run. So uh, check it out. Does the church need to give the Apostle Paul a 21st century refresh? And I mean, and one last thing I'll say about this is, you know, <laughs> if this is true, right, if if it's true that we have for almost, well, about 2000 years, right, that we have somehow misunderstood uh, or, at least, you know, since I don't know, uh, I mean, I, I know that, you know, Calvin and Augustine and these kinds of people are, you know, the ones getting it wrong. So, you know, at least for the majority of church history, you've just really gotten this wrong. No one had it right, apparently. And it's up to a scholar to unearth the real meaning with new evidence. You have to be skeptical of that for another reason. That's actually an acid that destroys Christianity, because what it means is that God's not really sovereign over the process of people handling his word. He's not leaving himself a witness. It's up to scholars to dig and scholars should look at things, but it's up to them to find the real truth. And there's no reason to really believe any of it at that point. I mean, if a, if a discovery can just overturn very fundamental teachings. So that's one thing to, to be careful of as well. You have to ask the question, why is this even who cares? Why is it relevant then? If, if you if you don't believe that it says what it says or it doesn't matter that it says what it says. Right. Or um, it's been lost for the, for this amount of time. God apparently wasn't able to preserve His word in that way. Then you, you end up having to get you get into this awkward spot where you're a Christian, but you don't really have much of a basis for it, uh, and y your whole entire basis has to be built on the scholarship of people who, frankly, are generally ingratiating themselves to worldly impulses uh, and and the zeitgeist that stands in the present time. So. Um, just a few thoughts that I had on that as I was reading it, you know, I was remembering uh, the kinds of things that uh, I was exposed to in seminary, you know, new information, new textual information, new um, background information shows the, us that, you know, hell isn't really a, a literal place that people go, you know, that's the kind of thing that you hear all the time. So good on Amy Simmons for writing that. And then, of course, we have some uh, great articles here uh, that, you know, I just think, uh, this is the kind of thing we need more of, especially in the context of the 21st century anti-monument craze. There's a, an article here by Caleb Czar, Caleb Czar, and it's called Soldiers of the Cross, the Christian Character and Legacy of Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson. And of course, he gets into the reasons that Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson are honorable. He even starts off talking about how Booker T. Washington admired them. And and this is one of the things I, I think it's one of the reasons Booker T. Washington isn't platformed all that much anymore. It's one of the things that uh, that people don't want to look at and talk about, that these men were almost universally praised, even by their enemies. They were praised as godly men. And and, and of course, today they're just smeared as defenders of slavery. And uh, and that, that means that they wanted to abuse minorities or something like that. And, and that's nothing could be further from the truth. 
you know, especially Stonewall Jackson. I mean, both of them really, but Stonewall Jackson and his Sunday school, uh, that's, they're still, as I understand it in Roanoke, Virginia, a mural in a church there, a black church, uh, historically African-American church that, um, contains, uh, a, a quote from Stonewall Jackson because of how impactful he was in the Christian, um, in the, in the black community, uh, in the Christian uh, black community specifically. So anyway, he goes through, um, some of the quotes from Robert E. Lee, how he lived his life. He said, my chief concern is to, uh, try to be a humble, earnest Christian. And you, you see this stuff all over the place with Robert E. Lee. He's, he's actually an extremely impressive man. And, and, You'll hear people today saying this is a lost cause. It's hero worship. It's ridiculous. They'll they'll mine his letters to try to find things where they can uh, that they they can use, or or even smear campaigns that existed at the time to vilify him by his enemies, and they'll they'll treat those as true in order to smear him. But if you just read him, you know the way you would read anyone else, he's an extremely impressive man. And uh, so it talks about. Um, how even in the midst of war, following the Battle of Fredericksburg, he writes his wife, my heart is filled with gratitude to Almighty God for his unspeakable mercies with which he has blessed us in this day for those he has granted us from the beginning of life and particularly for those he has vouchsafed us during the past year. Much, or sorry, what should have become of us without his crowning help and protection? And this is just not unique. This is the way he lived his life at every turn, every turn. And it puts us to shame, man. I just, I think of myself, how often I say, God bless, right? I try to remember to do that. I do that all the time. God bless. Even when I'm talking to people in the world, that's my kind of uh, the last thing I say before the end of a conversation. But that's about it. You know, I'm not praising God for the beauty. I don't walk into the gym and talk to the people behind the counter and say something like, you know, at the grocery store, didn't, didn't God or didn't, didn't the Lord Jesus give us a wonderful day? You know, I, I should, I should do that. You forget, though, you get secularized yourself just living in this world. And, and this is the kind of thing that jolts you out of that. Um, Douglas Southall Freeman, which he wrote the best lead biography, uh, in my opinion, he said, what was his duty as a Christian and gentleman that he answered by the sure criterion of right and wrong and having answered acted everywhere? The two obligations went together. He never sought to expiate as a Christian for what he ahead failed to do as a gentleman or to atone as a gentleman for what he had neglected as a Christian. He could not have conceived of a Christian who was not a gentleman. And, and you know, boy, I'll tell you today, um, and I got friends who are in this camp, but there's a lot of young guys. I, uh, and, you know, I got to be careful. I don't get sucked into this kind of thing because um, I know it's becoming more popular, but there's a lot of younger guys who use foul language, who watch things they, their eyes shouldn't really see. And, and, and sometimes they can even be, you know, very aggressive Christians socially. And they, um, and, and, you know, I'm not trying to point the fingers at anyone in particular, but I've, I've noticed this. I've noticed that this is a trend and it's not a good thing. <laughs> you know, be like more like Robert E. Lee. That would be my advice to people. You know, clean up your, your language. It's not appropriate. It doesn't bring people's minds to that higher order God has for them. It doesn't help them in their walk or it doesn't help them if they're not walking with Christ to uh, even know who Christ is. It just degrades them. And that's one thing we can learn from Robert E. Lee. Uh, now, he talks about uh, James Robertson and Stonewall Jackson. I'm not going to get into that because of time, but that's probably one of the better biographies of Stonewall Jackson. And so I would encourage you to read this piece, share it around, uh, let people know that, uh, you know, you you respect uh, men like this, even though the world has decided that they're not worthy of it. And one of the things I should say I found uh, interesting is Caleb Czar. He's a young guy. 
he's a sophomore at Houston Christian University, and he's double majoring in cinematic arts and biblical studies, and he wants to make movies and stuff. And so I, uh, I, I, I just think that's the greatest thing. It would be wonderful if we had movies or documentaries about men of Christian character like this and others. And one of the others is Samuel Davies, or sorry, not Samuel Davies. Actually, Samuel Davies is one of the others. Uh, David Rice. Um, Sean McGowan, who is a Presbyterian minister in uh, the great state of Florida, said, uh, put out an article that says what David Rice's final advice to his children can teach us. And David Rice was also a Presbyterian minister who lived uh, he died in 1816, so he lived through the Revolution uh, or the War for Independence, and um, he played a prominent role in the development of Presbyterianism in Kentucky. He ministered to people on the frontier, and you can see in this article his cabin. That's his the cabin he lived in. So he got saved under the preaching of Samuel Davies, and it's a, it talks about a couple of things that he did. One of the things he did was he um, actually opposed uh, slavery when Kentucky became a state. He didn't want that uh, included in, in the state constitution. Um, he had 11 children, and he had advice for them. And that's really where a lot of this article focuses. He says things like this. Uh, he says, my dear children, frequently recollect, or recollect and seriously realize that we must all appear at the dread tribunal of Jesus Christ, and that then you must give an account to him of the use, the improvement you have made of all the religious advantages and privileges you have enjoyed, and particularly those that you have enjoyed in the family in which you have been educated. And so, you know, he talks about uh, this, this firm stand that Davies co took for uh, firm uh, biblical convictions, for good doctrine. Um, he talks about uh, the way he guided his family. The way that, again, like just like Robert E. Lee, he talks about Christian morality. Davies said, uh, for actions to be spiritually good, the principle must be love for God and, and man. The motive must be the glory of God and the good of man, and the standard must be God's law contained in the scripture. And on civil society, um, he said, every <clears throat> ever since the establishment of American independence, and even for some time before, I have very much doubted whether we had political virtue sufficient to support our happy, free Republican government. Now, let me stop there. Isn't that interesting? This is someone writing in the uh, early 1800s. They've lived through the war for independence. And this is what he's saying. I don't know if our, our morality is sufficient for this form of government. Now, we know now that it's definitely not. But at that time, whoa, out of the gate, people were questioning, is this even possible? Can, can men actually live in self-government? Are we capable of that? So anyway, he says... Our relationship with Europe and the intercourse with nations far advanced in the vices usually produced by opulence have begun to contaminate our morals and destroy that honesty and simplicity of manners, which are necessary in free states, especially in their infancy. I am now pretty thoroughly convinced that we have not a sufficiency of virtue. I expect that you, or at least your children, will live to see a miserable reverse of affairs. And they did, actually, to be honest with you. Um, I think with all the immigration that came uh, starting mostly in the 1840s, uh, from uh, countries that did not share the Protestant uh, view of many of the people who were uh, heritage Americans and uh, just the um, degradation caused in the uh, war um, between the states, you can see that you know he, he was sensing something and uh, how much more true today. So anyway, um, I should probably go to the conclusion here. Sorry, I'm scrolling all around. He said there is a running theme in all of Rice's advice to his children that 
and that is faithfulness to the word of God, whether it is faithfulness to the teaching of scripture, faithfulness to the way that God calls us to live in scripture or faithfulness to the way God's word commands us to treat others or faithfulness to the way God calls us to raise our families. We are living in a day and age where many wonder how close they can get to the line of unfaithfulness without crossing it. Instead, let us gird up our loins and commit ourselves to live unashamed of the word of God and belief, practice and our teaching to the next generation. So great article by Sean McGowan on, on history that is not focused on really, you know, niche stuff here that, you know, I, and I'm just going to be candid with all of you. This is something that TruthScript, I think, uh, excels in. You, if you're going to look at conservative Christian organizations out there, their focus when it comes to early American uh, preachers, theologians, it's going to be the Puritans 9.9 .9 times out of 10. They're going to focus on the Puritans and, and everyone else is pretty much disregarded. <laughs> and um, and Sean McGowan is one of these guys who actually wants to recover some of the early Presbyterians. And um, and, uh, you know, I, don't, I haven't talked to him about it, but, I, you know, I'm assuming Anglicans as well. There were a lot of Anglicans in Virginia and the southern states. And of course, there were Baptists, too. But they generally aren't focused on because of the the inordinate focus the Puritans get and not that they shouldn't be focused on. They're important. But there is uh, there there are other Christian traditions that are just as important, if not more, to be quite honest with you, in some ways. And uh, and and so I'm thankful for Sean McGowan for starting to research some of this, and, and you can expect more uh, from TruthScript on those things. So um, we had an article about uh, about uh, gentle parenting, which I would really like to actually get to this. I just don't know if I can if I had the time. Let me just. Um, let me just go to the, can I go to the conclusion? Is that okay? Um, and then I can, you know, just say, look, go read this. If you're a parent and, and you're um, <clears throat> seeing around you the examples of other parents and it's, it's this kind of like letting the kid do what they want, you know, and saying no thank you, but not putting a firm foot down when they violate the rules, you may want to read this. Um, she uh, says, by using the Bible, we do not need to look to those who are psychologists or believe they know the key to success in raising children. We have a guide. And that's really the gist of this particular article. You know, we, we already have what we need. And it's not that, it's, it, you know, it's not helpful to get wisdom from people, especially people who have applied this. No, of course it is. We need that wisdom. But we don't need to go to people who hate God <laughs> or people who uh, assume different things that are false about human nature to figure out how to raise our kids. So um, just be careful with that. So uh, the, the next article, and there's four left for me to mention, Begging Pastor Beg. And I'm not going to talk about this just because I talked about this quite a bit on my own uh, other podcast, Conversations That Matter. But um, there's been some development, actually, since Danny Steinmeier wrote this on the situation where Pastor Alistair Begg endorsed uh, a, well, said that you, you can go to or, or should even go to a gay wedding. A, a homosexual wedding and bring a gift if you're a Christian to show your love. And, and Danny Steinmeier really gets into this and, um, you know, calls. Uh, this was at a time when uh, we weren't sure when where Pastor Big was going to really end up. And he's begging Pastor Big to uh, to be humble, really. And it's just kind of sad to, to, for me to see kind of what's happened. But uh, and then Seth Brickley, uh, Christians cannot support the Democrat Party. Now, this is kind of one of those edgy titles, isn't it? Christians can't do that. Why not? And I'll be the first to say, and I'm sure Seth probably agrees. Hey, if you live in an area, you have a Democrat. And he believes all the Christian values, right? He's running. He's in you know, maybe a state like West Virginia or Kentucky and has nothing in common with the party. You know, is it a sin to vote for that person? I'm sure it's not a sin. 
the Bible doesn't say it's a sin to vote Democrat. However, the platform of the Democratic Party is evil. And um, in, in 9.9 times out of 10, when you vote for a Democrat, you are voting for, and probably more than that, to be honest, but you're voting for their party platform. You're voting for that platform to be uh, advanced. And so he talks about how this is so incompatible uh, with what Christians believe. There's no amount of justification a Christian can give that overcomes this mountain of uh, issues that they should have with voting for a Democrat. And he says, since 2015, the Democrat leadership has supported the practice of gender affirming care. He talks about abortion. He talks, I mean, these things are not up for debate in Christianity. And he says, you know, a lot of evangelicals, what they're doing is they're saying, well, I see all that, but I just want to vote because they care for the poor. Um, but, you know, this is a, he says this is a bait and switch tactic. Sure, Democrat policies may tend to be less Christian in the areas of explicit morality, but Republicans neglect caring for the poor. And he says many Christian leaders aren't comfortable coming right out and endorsing the Democrat Party. So they'll appeal to a third way. I mean, Keller did this. Moore does this. Uh, French does this. You know, they're they're going to say, hey, it's an option. David Platt does this. It's totally an option uh, to vote for the Democrats. And and so he gets into this more. Uh, he says, according to Romans 13, the government has this limited responsibility to protect people. So a lot of the things that the Democrats want to do for people or they say they want to do, they're not, it's not really in the scope of the role of the government. And so you know, that's something that you need to take into account, too, that even on, on the best day, the Democrats' best issue, supposedly, uh, is not a reflection of Christian values at all. So don't be deceived. <laughs> you, you can't vote for Democrats. That's, that's the end of the article. Now, there's two more uh, that I'm going to touch on. I'm not going to read this one just because there's been so much talk about the he gets us uh, stuff. It, it has been um, the the content out there about the he gets us campaign is is far exceeding uh, maybe even the relevance of. Well, it is relevant, I suppose. But um, anyway, it's it's a good article. And it, when it came out, it's very timely by Ri Pastor Richard Henry. We're uh, very grateful for him and his um, his work on this. But it's uh, it, it's opposing the he gets us campaign. And, you know, talking about how Christians have reacted to this and how this uh, makes things muddier for Christians and, you know, a lot of good stuff. So if that's something that you haven't looked into or you don't know what I'm talking about, definitely go to True Strip, read this article. It's pretty comprehensive on the problems with the He Gets Us campaign and how it's out of step with uh, the teaching of Christ. But um, there's been so much talk on it. I'm just going to and, and I'm I'm starting to fade. I'll be honest. My sickness is catching up with me. I feel it in my head. I feel it in my throat. So um, I wanted to get to this one. I really wanted to get to this one. This is actually by my brother for those under the temptation of ending their lives for those under the temptation of ending their lives. And he starts off talking about the classic faint Frank Capra movie. It's a wonderful life. And for those who have seen that movie, um, it's intense. I, I think at least, I mean, uh, he talks about there's a scene that hit him hard in it and it's, where George Bailey uh, jumps the, the main character in the movie. You got to see the movie, I guess, to understand what's being talked about here. But George Bailey jumps in the river to attempt to kill himself. At least that was the intention initially. And he he then, though, changes his view. He sees someone else jump, and, he, he, and the guy named Clarence, he jumps in to save Clarence. And, <clears throat> and George Bailey says, I suppose it would have been better if I was never born. And George Bailey's self-assessment resonated with, with, uh, with David. He said his plan to kill himself for insurance money 
cut me to the core. I was crying because lately I was wrestling with some similar thoughts, although I was lamenting that I didn't have an insurance policy to leave my family. Like George Bailey, I was tempted to believe that my situation, my family, and the world would be far better if I weren't around. Now, <clears throat> this is more common than some of you think. In fact, I was looking at the stats. I think he has this later in here, especially white males. I mean, it's no, it's it's interesting. You look at the homicide rate of of certain minority groups, of like black males, for example, and it is so much higher than the rate it is for uh, for white males. But if you look at the suicide rate, it's off the charts for white males. It's like, you know, all that anger and rage at, at their situation is turned inward and they kill themselves. And I'm not saying that there are, obviously there's white people who do homicides or black people who do, you know, are suicidal. I'm not saying, I'm just saying that um, it's, it's, a, it's a weird, it's an odd trend to look at. There, there's, there's a different way different demographics are approaching this. And for some reason, white men, and I've seen this in my own life, by the way, off the charts when it comes to this issue. And I think a lot of it has to do with they're losing their culture. They're losing the, their world. They're, they're, the, they're discriminated against now in the job site. I mean, majorly so. I think it was, I don't remember it was Forbes or another financial magazine had done a study recently. I know I mentioned it on my other podcast where um, they showed the percentage of, of the top, you know, whatever it was, 500 companies, the percentage of white males being hired. And it's like 6%. It's like, it is so small now, even though they're a majority of uh, the population, they, um, the airlines just got, you know, uh, I think American airlines just recently was in the news for this very thing and Delta especially. So that's just one factor. That's the economic factor. But, but when things seem hopeless and you, you know, you can't get a job, and uh, you, if you do, you, you'd have to move. You, can, you can't stay on your family farm or, you know, wherever you grew up. You have to break ties. Um, you know, when, when the narrative everywhere you look is against you and sees you as the problem, you start to think, maybe I am or maybe I don't belong here. And so uh, he talks about here. And, and by the way, I should also say this. You don't have to be white for this, obviously. But I think if you're just Christian, no matter what your, what your background is, you're getting that same message, right? You don't belong as a Christian. The epidemic of emptiness. The United States saw the most annual suicides ever recorded in 2023, over 50,000. This means that more than one in 1,000 people kill themselves every year. It's increasing. White male adults make up the overwhelming majority, upwards of 70%. 70%. That's incredible for this one demographic. All the disparities that you hear about, you never hear about this. Um, the proposed causes usually focus on the availability of guns on social media or social media influence. Most theories do not focus on root causes. Talks about despair, um, losing one's nation, community, family. I talked about that. Um, I'm a failure. Often it's that everyday strife and struggle that brings one to the edge of the cliff. Men, especially middle-aged family men, are more likely to commit suicide. There's a variety of social explanations for this. Uh, but in an anti-masculine society, it's no surprise that many men feel powerless to stand against what they see as insurmountable odds. I'm a failure can become the defining maxim among discouragement. Totally true. There's this, there's no war going on. There's no, uh, there's no political route for, there's no way to really fight. Sometimes you feel the evil that's out there and it's coming for you. It's coming for your family. You're trying to insulate yourself, but you don't have the means to do it. And I'll tell you what, this is a great area for older people in the church, no matter who they are to step up and have a generational outlook here, especially if you don't have kids, um, be a blessing. Be a blessing. People have been a blessing to me, and I'm very grateful for that. Uh, be a blessing to the younger uh, people, the younger couples around you. 
no matter who they are, because if they're Christians, no matter who they are, they got it rough and in this world. And uh, I'm not just saying financially, they need encouragement. And this is a great opportunity for older Christians to kind of step up. Um, we have a sacred responsibility to provide for a family. And, uh, and, and the father of lies, Satan will always try to corrupt a good thing and twist and mangle scripture to use it against us. Rather than trust God for his provision, while striving to fulfill our responsibility, we become tempted to rely completely on ourselves. The world is better off without me. I can't do it. Um, so the, the rest of the article is about rebuking these lies. So what kind of truth do you focus on to get yourself out of a pit like this? Well, don't focus on the devil's lies. Don't, don't focus on, you know, they call it blackmailing now, right? The odds are stacked against me. There will never be any more good. It's all over. Properly view your place. You live under the sovereignty of God. Hebrews 4, 4 uh, 15. Uh, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. He's tempted at every point yet without sin. God, Jesus went through something far worse. And we exist where and when we do for specific purposes. Um, all things work together for good to those who love God, are called according to his purpose. And purpose is a big part of this. We need a purpose. We need to know where is it that we fit in. And if one belongs to Christ, he is forgiven of his sin. And this includes suicide um, and suicidal thoughts. In Philippians 1, Paul reminds us that to live as Christ, to die as gain, he preferred to depart, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. So God has a mission for you. Sometimes actually, yeah, it makes, man, it'd be better to be with God, wouldn't it? But God has a mission for you. There's a reason you're here. And the next thing is, you know, understanding your, your general purpose and then your specific purpose is thanksgiving. Properly giving gratitude, uh, not to be anxious, but to, to pray, to supplicate with thanksgiving to the Lord. And um, look out for one another. I was already talking about this, especially older people need to help the younger people in this way. Um, help meet those needs of, of younger people who are struggling. Ask questions. Hey, how you doing? Um, and if you are tempted, uh, you talk to someone. Leave your pride behind. Cling to the body of the Christ. Romans 5. Through him we have obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance proven character, and character produces hope. We're living in some really epic times, if you haven't noticed. We're living in times that are, you know, we read about these epic times from history and wish we could be like the men who really stood. We're living in those times. We're living in challenging times. We're living in times that perhaps our grandchildren are going to ask us, how, did, how was that? What was that like? You live through 2020 <laughs> for my you know, grandkids. You live through 9-11. You know, my, my grandfather um, was he was a little older than me when Pearl Harbor happened. And he just died at 101. I could say, Grandpa, what was Pearl Harbor like? What was what was it like at your school? I mean, I had these conversations with them and um, and I miss him dearly because it was living history. It wasn't books. It wasn't uh, you know, it was it was someone who really experienced it. I could talk with, and, and I'm going to have that with my grandkids. They're going to say, what was nine 11? Like everything changed after that. And I'm going to tell them I was close to it. <laughs> and we have to have the long view. We have to have the long view. We have to see, you know what? Not every civilization does survive. So what do you do in the meantime? What, where do you put your, your, uh, what kind of insulation do you build for your people, your family, your region, whatever? Um, what kinds of things should you be looking at investing in? What kinds of uh, of things should you be telling people who are also caught in the middle of this kind of thing and discouraged, and many are. So with that, I'm going to end it. If you could pray for me, I hope I don't get more sick because i got a lot to do this week. 
and I appreciate everyone's uh, support. Uh, God bless. Uh, share this around on social media. And don't forget, uh, if you want to submit an article or contribute, go to truthscript.com. God bless.